Amen. I love that promise. And it is a promise to us from God that He is one we can count on. Uh, speaking of promises, today we're going to look at a promise from Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. We're taking a break from our sermon series through our New Testament Bible reading plan. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. That's from last week, my bad. Turn, turn to chapter 11. Don't let your eyes deceive you. Ignore this. Turn to chapter 11. Um, this is actually uh, the passage that I shared with our at our pastors' conference in the Dominican Week. I had the privilege to share with a group of pastors there, and we took a look at this promise from Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight through thirty. So, if you would read it with me, you read silently. I'll read out loud. Didn't want there to be confusion. <coughs> Here, Jesus says, "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened." I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. We do have kingdom kids today, so if we have any children who are four years old through second grade, they can meet our kingdom kids workers right over here. Just a quick... uh, programming note on that kingdom kids does shift to an every other week schedule and so you'll just want to be aware of that they'll be meeting twice a week in june and july and then as we get into august i think we'll be on a more regular schedule Uh, but this is a wonderful opportunity for them to learn and worship at their level as they've aged out of the nursery and gives them a little time to get ready for being in the whole of the worship service and so they'll just be right next door in our christian life center Upstairs, and so parents, you'll want to go by and pick them up after the service today. Okay, if I could just pause and pray with you before we dive into this awesome promise of Jesus to us. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word and how you speak to us through it. God, we trust that this is your Holy Spirit and that you have a message for us, a message that you want us to hear specifically our lives individually as well as collectively. Father, help us to be open to that message. Help our minds to be tuned in to what you have to say when there are so many distractions that could pull our attention away from what you want to say to us today. God, soften our hearts that we might be ready to receive this message. If anyone here is struggling with a hardened heart this morning, that they would just ask you to help them to be soft towards you to hear from you. And God, as your word tells us in the book of James, we are not to be merely hearers of the word, but you intend for us to take the message of scripture and to live it out in our lives. So ready our hands and feet to take the words that you have to share with us, the message you have for us. We might be ready to put it into action in our lives this week. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, So this, as I said, was the passage from which I shared at the pastor's conference. And I got to, uh, we had six sessions planned out. It was kind of, we had some stuff going on. We had a little bit of programming issues. So we didn't get to all six sessions. But I had another pastor sharing with with me. His name was uh, Mike Hurt. He's a pastor at uh, Parkway uh, Church in Victoria. And uh, and it was really just a, a wonderful time of encouraging fellow pastors and I pointed out to them that, that this promise of Jesus, you know, it's, it's for 
Jesus' sheep. And I told them, Pastor, you're, you're an under-shepherd, but you're a sheep as well. You are one of the sheep in the fold of Jesus. And Jesus is described by himself in John 10 as the good shepherd. And Peter describes him as the great shepherd because of what Jesus did for us in his life, death, and resurrection. And so here we have a good and great shepherd. And just imagine you're, you're one of those sheep because if you're a Christian, you are. I know it's not fun to be compared to a sheep. We all know the stories about sheep and their intelligence and all that kind of stuff. But the point is, is that sheep need help. And Jesus came to provide that help. So imagine you're one of those sheep and you're kind of far out in the field, right? And imagine what sheep go through. You know, they get hot. They get tired. They get thirsty. They get hungry. Sheep are just natural uh, prey for predators. So, so there's always something lurking around the corner. Uh, and so they're always, they need to be aware of that. And often they're not. So, so they're, they're, they're vulnerable, right? Sheep get sick and they, and they need to be patched up. They need to be healed. They need to be helped. So just imagine you're the sheep in that faraway field and, and you're going through all of that stuff, right? And you hear the voice of the good and the great shepherd Jesus calling you to him. And that's what we see here with Jesus. He says, come to me. You, specifically, he's saying, come to me. Now there's a lot of places we could turn, right? There's a lot of places we could turn when we're, as, the, as Jesus describes, that we often are weary and burdened. We're those, she- we're those sheep out in the field, weary and burdened by the heat, by the, by the hunger, by the danger, right? By sickness. We're that sheep out there in the field, weary and burdened. And Jesus says, if that describes you today, come to me. You can stay where you are or you can come to me. And so this invitation requires our action. It requires us to take him up on this promise. As we're going to see, this is, a, this is a gift that Jesus is offering us. He holds it out and says, if you want this gift, come to me and receive this gift. And we have to go to him and take the gift. It's not automatic. The rest of Jesus requires that we come to Jesus to enjoy that gift. And there's lots of places we can turn, right? Where, where are the places that you turn when you're weak and weary? Right? What, what are the things that you do when you're worn out by life? You know, some of we may eat too much. I'm certainly guilty of that. I know that's a shocker. Just calm down. And then we could drink too much, right? We could just entertain ourselves and just scroll through social media until our brains are numb, right? Uh, some people turn to drugs or alcohol or pornography. There's no limit to the places we can turn to try to find rest for our weary and burdened soul. But if we want the rest that Jesus offers, it's only found in Jesus. So we have to come to Him. And if you're here this morning, I'm, I'm guessing you're willing to do that. You're willing to come to Jesus. But we have to be coming to Jesus, not just on Sunday, and not just some days, but we have to be coming to Jesus every day. Every day we need to sit with Jesus in word and in prayer and in worship, coming to Him to find the rest for our weary and burdened souls. Now, I think it's interesting that Jesus uses these two words. He uses the phrase weary uh, and He uses the phrase burdened, or in some translations it will say heavy laden. And you can just imagine here the language of like, a, instead of a sheep, think of an ox, right? 
Uh, and that's, that's probably the imagery Jesus has in mind here because he's going to talk about a yoke in a second. And that's typically the animal you would yoke to is an ox. An ox would do what? An ox would pull a plow through a field. And, you know, that would be very labor-intensive work. That would be very hard, difficult, challenging work. But Jesus uses two phrases here, weary and burdened. Weary or weary and heavy laden. And, and the word for weary or labor here is, is an active word. It's the things that we choose to do that wear us out. Now, our kids just got into summer sports and I was gone for the first bit of it because I was in the DR. And then I came back and we had a Saturday full of basketball and volleyball and we almost signed them up for summer track too. Thank you, Jesus. We didn't do that. Okay. Because you just, that, we chose that, right? We chose that added stuff into our schedule. And often it's worth it. It's good stuff to choose. But sometimes we choose too many things. Sometimes we choose the wrong things. There are things that we can choose that is not wise to choose that. Or to choose so much and we become weary. Because we have made a decision to add too many things to our plate. Like they were sharing earlier in the Dominican. It, it's offensive if you get a plate full of food and you don't eat it, right? And we had our banquet up at the top, the fourth floor of what's called uh, the children's uh, building. Uh, There's, I don't know, what is that building called? It's not just a children's building because they've got other stuff, but is that what they call it? They call it the children's building. So there's a fourth floor up there. We went up there and we're having the final banquet. And the thing is, is when you're in line at the Dominican to get your food, uh, if you stay there, they will just keep putting food on your plate until you move along which is a nice feature unless you get distracted like I did at the banquet. And now I've got all this food. And we've already been told if you throw away food, it's disrespectful, right? So I have to find a way to get all of this food down. My eyes were bigger. Well, I say that. I really didn't choose that much food. It just kind of happened. I wasn't paying attention, right? And that can often happen in our lives. We just look up and all of a sudden our lives are crammed full of stuff. And we feel like we've got to get it all down. We choose the activity sometimes that wears us out. Well, guess what? If we chose it, we can make a different choice. In coming to Jesus, we may find that there's some things we need to stop doing in order that we can come to Him. But then there's another word here, burden or heavy laden. And this is the passive weight of life. These are the things you don't choose. They just happen. Someone in your family dies. Sickness or illness happens. Financial crisis happens you lose your job right there's emergencies there's someone's house may burn down there's there's a long list i don't have to recount it for you of things that just happen in our lives and we have to deal with it and it can feel very very weighty and what do we do when we feel that weight jesus says we can come to him and in coming to him we find rest now i don't know if you can tell but I'm still working on post-mission trip rest. I'm still trying to get caught up on sleep. I have not slept well the last few nights. It's kind of, and that always how it is on a trip. The first few nights you're away, you don't sleep well. And then when you get back, you kind of got to get reacclimated to, you know, your bed and your pillow and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm still working on this rest thing. But, but let me tell you, physical rest is extremely important. If you didn't know that, know that. It's super important. God, God created us to rest, to sleep. You know, like seven, eight hours a day on average for the for the average uh, adults, right? More so for children and uh, teenagers. 
But Jesus isn't talking about physical sleep here. The rest he's talking about, he says it specifically at the end of verse 29. He says he's talking about rest for our souls. And I found this, and I bet you know it's true too. You can be very well rested physically and be exhausted spiritually, mentally, emotionally. You can be weary in your soul, even if you got a great night's sleep. Jesus is saying, I'm offering you rest for your soul. That's what I want to give you is rest for your soul. Sometimes, like I said earlier, we choose the busy life. But Jesus has something for us. He says, I want you to experience rest. Now, this is not a new thing, by the way. That God would create rest is embedded in creation. Like I already said, there's physical sleep. But think about this. How many days did God spend creating the heavens, the earth, and everything in it? How many days? This is an answer out loud question. What's the answer? Six. But how many days do we typically count in a week? So what did God do on the seventh day? He rested. Now, did God need to rest? No. No, he did not need to rest. He's God. He's, he's unlimited. He does not need a nap. He doesn't need soul rest. He's God. He chose to rest. Not only to enjoy the creation he made, but to set for us an example that we might follow in that kind of rest. Now, how do we know that? Because it's, it's the big thing throughout like the whole rest of the Old Testament into the new. This idea that God has created us to rest on that day. What, what the Jews called a Sabbath or Shabbat, which was Friday, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday would have been Shabbat. For us, it's often, it, it, we refer to Sabbath as Sunday, our day of rest. And I'm sitting here with a group of pastors and I'm sharing this with them. And something that hit me in my preparation, I just thought, because as a pastor, Sunday's not your day of rest. You've got to pick a different day of rest. Some of you are very active and serving in the church. You may be in the same boat. You've got so much going on on Sunday. Sunday is like a, it's like a work day, even though you're not paid. And so Sunday may be a very hard day for you to choose rest. You may have to choose a different day like I do. Uh, but I'm sitting here with these pastors, and something had dawned on me as I was reviewing this passage. Is I thought, this idea of Sabbath rest was so important to Jesus, so important to God, That he put it in the commandments. And it starts all the way back in uh, Exodus chapter 16. Uh, Exodus chapter 16, the Israelites are coming out of slavery in Egypt. And what they did in Egypt was for 400 plus years, they labored every day. Back-breaking labor. And when they come out of that, Jesus said, or, or God says, through Moses, now you're going to experience Sabbath rest. Exodus chapter 23, the first part says, this is what the Lord commanded. This is, this is after coming out of Egypt, right? Tomorrow is to be a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath rest to the Lord. Not only that, but later on when the Ten Commandments are created, God adds observing the Sabbath to the Ten Commandments. Specifically, Exodus 20, verse 8, he says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Holy meaning set apart than all the other days. Distinct, special, for a particular purpose. And as I was thinking about this, kind of dawned on me, you know, what other commandment 
Do we feel at liberty to violate out of the Ten Commandments? Do we feel like it's no big deal to worship other gods? Do we feel like, you know, we can make an image and worship that? Do we feel like it's okay to use the Lord's name in vain or, or to dishonor our parents? What, day, what, what days of the week do we feel free to commit murder? Or to lie? Or to steal? Or to kill? Or to covet? We read those other nine commandments and we think, surely, yes, those still stand. We know that we got some other laws in the Old Testament that have to do with foods and other special days. None of those made into the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments still stand as God's ideal for how we should live. And we would say, none of those other nine should we violate, and yet the Sabbath is the one that we violate the most often. And I was bringing this to these pastors' attention and saying, it cannot be that way. Because it's not just that we violate, because of course we do violate some of the others, don't we? But because the Spirit of God lives in us, hopefully we feel the grief of that, we repent of that, and we ask God to help us to obey that command. It should be the same with the Sabbath. Now the Sabbath is not a day off. That's like a different day. Sabbath is not vacation. Sabbath is a very specific, distinct way to spend 24 hours, wherein which we stop all work, paid and unpaid. It's where we delight in God. We worship Him. On my Sabbath, which is typically uh, on Fridays, uh, and then Saturday is kind of like family day and housework day and all that, but on Fridays, my Sabbath, it begins with that worship. You know, I I have more time. I have more freedom. I'm not working at the church uh, during the school years. The kids are at school. I can just sit. I can read the Bible. Uh, I'm not in a rush. I can can journal. I'm not not trying to just get through the activity sometimes. (laughs) You know, I can just sit there in prayer and linger with God. I can sing songs and, and, and play the guitar, and I, I love doing that stuff. I can, just, I can just sit and worship God, and I'm not, I'm not rushing to the next thing because this is a day of rest. And I don't put anything on that day that I don't want to do. Now, of course, emergencies happen. We all get that. But I've tried to structure that day as this is a day where I'm going to enjoy God and the things of God. So you better believe I'm going to eat some good food, Right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy time with Marsha and we're going we're gonna to get a nap in the afternoon. I mean, it's going to be, it's, gonna, it's my favorite day of the week is just to have that Sabbath where I enjoy God and the things of God. Now see, a, a day off is not normally centered around that. I mean, every day should be centered on God, but you understand what I'm saying. We're getting things done, family activities, et cetera, et cetera. But a true Sabbath is meant to enjoy God and the things of God and to not busy our lives with work that we're doing on the other six days. And if we say, I can't do that, I've got too much to do, then you're right, you have too much to do. You've made a choice to overly burden your life with things that you don't have to do. And I spent way too long ignoring this command, to be honest with you. I I repent of it, I really do. Because it is so life-giving. I've been doing this for the last two years. That's it. Just the last two years have I been truly trying to observe a Sabbath. And it is so life-giving. I encourage you to do that. You can do all the other stuff I'm saying, but if you don't observe a Sabbath, you're, you're, you're ignoring one of the main ways Jesus is inviting you to come and enjoy Him. Now let me say, Jesus, you know, He had words with the religious elite when they talked about Sabbath. And, and He told them, look, the Sabbath is not uh, something that man was made for. Man is not made for the Sabbath. In other words, God didn't create you so that you could observe this rule. No. God created you and then gave you this a command to take a Sabbath as a blessing to draw your attention to Him 
It is a gift given to us. And so I'm not, I'm not saying you should observe this in a, uh, in, in a pharisaical way and drain all the life and joy out of it. I'm saying, no, if you're doing Sabbath and there's not life and joy on it, you, you're doing it wrong. Because that is the very center of what Sabbath is to be, is to enjoy God and the things of God. And I could not encourage you enough that if your plate is too full, you do not, and you feel that you do not have time to spend a day not working, paid, unpaid, and enjoy God and the things of God, reevaluate your commitments, make some changes. I tell you from experience, it is 100% worth it. Now, Jesus says, come to me, you will find rest. I think a Sabbath is an important part of that rest. And he says, by the way, this whole way of living life with me, that's, that's what I want you to take away. I want you to take my yoke and learn from me. Now, a yoke was something, like I mentioned earlier, Jesus has in mind oxen at this point, right? Some ox. You got two big old ox. They're going to plow a field and you yoke them together. You get a harness and put them together so they can pull that plow together. So it's not all about rest from work. Often what we need is rest in the work. We need to find in our work the presence of God. We need to feel in our work the help of God, the strength of God, the patience of God, the courage of God. We need to invite God into our rest from work. We need to invite God into our rest while we work. So Jesus uses this language of of a yoke to say, yeah, we got stuff to do, but listen, we're going to do it together. You are not parenting alone. You're not going to school and learning alone. You're not facing challenges at your workplace alone. You're not facing family difficulties alone. Jesus is saying, I want to go into those places with you. I want to help you. I want to be there with you. He says, I want you to learn that from me. And we say, well, Jesus, how, how did you do that? You are God. Now we understand here, Jesus absolutely is God. But he shares his godness with the Father and the Son. That Jesus is a distinct person. The Father is a distinct person. The Holy Spirit is a distinct person. Three persons, one God. That's the traditional historic belief of Christians for the last couple thousand years. And Jesus demonstrates this for us. He says, I want you to take me with you into your rest from work. I want you to take me with you into your rest while you work. And I want you to learn that from me. A couple important passages that demonstrate this. I'll I'll read them briefly. In John chapter 5, Jesus says, the son can do nothing by himself. He's referring to himself, of course. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does the son also does for the father loves the son and shows him all he does john chapter 12 49 and 50 jesus says for i do not speak on my own but the father who sent me commanded me to say all that i have spoken i know that his command leads to eternal life so whatever i say is just what the father has told me to say do you see what jesus is saying saying me and the father we are yoked together to do the work and jesus is saying i want to do that with you Now, I'll be honest with you. If I am not uh, paying attention, if if I'm not intentional, I can find I can do my whole day's work 
and have not prayed or thought about God much. And you're saying, well, that's crazy. You're a pastor. How in the world does that work? I'm just telling you, this is not an uncommon experience. You just get into work mode and you just start getting things done. And pretty soon you look up, the day is over. And you think, I didn't pray about any of that stuff. I just did it. Now that may seem crazy to you because I'm a pastor, but I promise you, you ask other ministers, you will be able to do that. Sadly. I don't say that with any pride. It's a shame that I say that. How many times I've gotten to the end of something and realized I didn't ask for God's help at all. Thank God he's helping me get better at it. And I literally am setting an alarm now. I have my time with the Lord in the morning. And now I've got an alarm set before lunch, an alarm set before I leave work so that I can engage in prayer in those moments, just a few moments to turn to the Lord and then include that in all the other things I'm doing. So here's what I'm saying is that God wants to partner with you in your work. So when you're parenting and you're struggling and you don't know what to do, pray, right? When your kids finally listen and they do what they're supposed to do. I mean, I know that happens like once, twice, every 12 years or something like that. But when it happens... You pray and you thank God for that progress that you're seeing, right? You're dealing with difficulties at work. You pray, God, give me wisdom. I desperately need wisdom. And God gives you wisdom. He says that. And in, uh, in, uh, in the book of James, he says, anyone who lacks wisdom can ask God for wisdom and God will give you wisdom without finding fault. James 1.5. We say, I don't have strength to do what I need to do. This is hard. I'm tired. I just want to stay in bed. Please do not make me get out of this bed. But you got to get out of that bed. Guess what? You can ask God For strength, God promises you strength. The Apostle Paul talked about this. He says, when I was weak, I found strength in God. And so he'll say in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, For Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Imagine that. In those moments of weakness, you turn to God and you find His strength. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I want you to co-labor with me. Not only in your rest from work, but in your rest in work. In your rest in your parenting, in your schoolwork, in your workplace, in your difficulties. I want you to know I'm right here next to you. I want you to yoke with me. We can do this together. Let me turn my pages. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever had to work with somebody that you didn't really like to work with, it can be a challenge. Thankfully, I don't have that problem now. Love all my coworkers. Shout out to you guys. Uh, A joy to work with. Um, But both in secular life and in ministry, you come across people, you think, uh, I'd rather not have to work with them, but Lord, give me grace and strength to do this, right? And so we all know that. We've all kind of been in that place where we're something that we've been called to do. We're right next to somebody else and uh, it's hard. Because they make it hard, right? Uh, But that's not the case with Jesus. When we labor next to Jesus, here is what we should be finding. We should be finding that Jesus is exactly who he says he is, gentle and humble. Now, this is kind of incredible. This is, look, I'm I'm just walking. I hope you are, I should have probably said this. I'm just walking you through that passage in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Right? For I am gentle and humble in heart. This is the one that wants to partner with you in life. This is the one that wants to walk next to you and help you plow that field. Get the work done. This is the one we come to for the rest that our souls need. There's a good book uh, by a guy named Ortland. 
I think it's Dane. There's a bunch of Ortlands that wrote a book. I think, the, I think this one's Dane. Anyways, he says that he wrote a whole book on this one passage. It's, the book's called Gentle and Lowly. And he says this about this particular part of Jesus' promise to us. He says, Jesus is not trigger happy. He's not harsh. He's not reactionary. He is not easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. That's Jesus. That's who's inviting you to partner with him. And when we do, we find this is exactly who Jesus is. It's the only description that we really kind of see Jesus unveiling his character to us uh, personally. You don't really have any other places in scripture where Jesus himself is telling you about his own character. He'll tell you about his work and his ministry and what he's doing. But when it comes to Jesus describing his own character, as far as I know, this is kind of it. And what words does he use to describe himself? He says, I am gentle and humble of heart. This is who is calling you to himself. This is who is wanting to give you rest for your souls. This is who, who is wanting to partner with you in the work. Whether that's paid work or unpaid work. So that sounds good, but how do we know that's who Jesus really is? I think we know that this is who Jesus is because of the testimony of his life. Now, I'm not going to tell you that everything Jesus ever said and and did uh, was, um, how to put it. Well, let me just say this. When we see what Jesus does overall, when we see his mission on earth and, and what he went through, we see that essentially... This is the perfect description of Jesus. First Peter two, just hear this. First Peter two thirty three begins like this. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That'll be the father. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And here Peter is quoting Isaiah 53. For you were all like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I think we get this picture of Jesus as humble. I think we get this picture of Jesus as a gentle shepherd. Because of what he went through on our behalf. He's the good shepherd because the good shepherd lays down his life. That's an act of humility. He's the great shepherd because he could do something about our sin. Right? And the something he does about our sin is not make us pay for it. No, in his gentleness, he says, I'll pay for it. Jesus is gentle and humble in heart. And I think the clearest place we see that is how he gave his life for us. That's the one that's calling us to him. Is a savior God who gave his life for us. In that we find he is gentle and humble. Last thought. Jesus says, in conclusion, he doesn't say in conclusion, I'm saying in conclusion. Verse 30, he says, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now Jesus certainly had in mind the usage of yoke as a way of describing a rabbi's teaching. And the Pharisees around him was a specific group within Judaism in the first century. 
that was very uh, religious, very uh, serious about the laws. In fact, they would create laws so that you wouldn't even come close to violating a law. I mean, they were big time on this, on this whole idea of, of observing, you know, all the laws that they could come up with uh, to keep you away from ever violating the laws of God. And sometimes they got confused about those two and saw their own laws as the laws of God. And so they would ask people, they would tell people, if you want to be a good Jew, this is, this is all the stuff you got to do. And, and the language that was used is that they would put a yoke on you and say, if you, if you want to follow me as your rabbi, here's all the stuff you got to do, right? And they would put all those teachings and say, you got to follow all this stuff. You got to do all these things, right? So Jesus certainly has this in mind. And, and what's amazing to me is that the only thing he asked us to do is to come to him. He would say of the Pharisees, you put a weight on people's shoulders, a yoke, that they cannot carry. And you don't even do anything to help them. But that's not Jesus. Jesus, who is gentle and humble in heart, he says, if you want the rest I offer, just come to me. And I love how this ends because he says, what you're going to find is my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And, you know, if you've read Jesus's teaching, we find, oh man, that really, have you read, have you read the sermon on the Mount, Matthew five through seven, go read that. It it sounds hard. It sounds difficult. But the difference is Jesus is saying, I'm walking with you to help you live out the life God has called you to. And when I walk with you, the life God has called you to is doable. How often we say, God, you've called me to a life I can't possibly live, but we're not walking with him. If you want to live the life Jesus has called you to live, you're going to have to be yoked to him. And Jesus says it in this way in in, uh, John chapter 15. He says, abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me, you can do all things. Anything Jesus has called us to do, if we abide in him, we can do it. So what Jesus is saying is there, if you come to me, if you partner up with me and experience my rest in your work and outside of your work, you're going to find that the life I've called you to is doable. In me, it's doable. But all begins with coming to him. So that's my encouragement to you this morning is to come to Jesus. Maybe that's, that, that's exactly how you walked into this sanctuary today, is burdened, heavy laden. You walked into this place today, weary. Come to him. We have an invitation, we have a chance to, to sing and to pray. Come to him. You should be tempted, oh, I'll just wait till I get home, I'll go, I'll go pray on my own. Yeah, maybe, maybe you won't. Why not now? Why not come to him now? Bring your weariness and your burdensomeness to him now. Don't wait. Remember the end of that quote, Jesus is not one who has a wagging finger but open arms. Let's walk into those open arms. Let's pray. Father God, what an incredible promise that Jesus lays out here for us and one that sadly too often I know I failed to claim. 
I'm thankful that you don't hold our failures against us. That's the exact opposite message of the good news of Jesus. He took our failures on our behalf. So if there's any here this morning that like me, we have failed to come to you. We've gone to a lot of different places, but we failed to come to Jesus that they would know Jesus is not got his arms crossed, wagging his finger, but he is got his arms open saying, just come. And that any here today that, uh, that have not come to him would come to him with all the things that are weighing them down. Yes, even their own sin. And they would find that he is exactly who he says he is. A gentle and humble Savior. Who wants to do life with us. Because in him life is doable. So help us to come. Help us to humble ourselves. And help us to come to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I have a song of invitation. And if you need prayer this morning, I invite you to come forward and and I'll be down here. I'd love to pray with you. You can pray where you're at. You can pray with someone next to you. My encouragement to you is, is if you heard that invitation from Jesus to come to him and you feel that pull of this, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you to him, then do not waste this opportunity to claim that promise. Come to him. Find that rest. So stand with me as we worship together and let's respond to the Lord however he's lead, however he is leading us.